In worship, the Spirit of the Lord was strong upon me. As I was saying, why, Lord? Why must we go through this? He just changed the subject on me, and he said, you see, the storm clouds are gathering. They're all around. You see the lightning. But be of good cheer. Be strong and courageous. You see, the foot of the king is on the stirrups at this moment, ready to mount the horse to come and gather his people before the terrible things that are to come. I receive it as from the Lord. You receive it as well. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, today is Mission Sunday. And uh, before I begin my comments, I want to say that Bethel stands with Israel during this terrible time. And we continue to pray for the peace of Israel, of Jerusalem. See, on October 7th of 2023, Hamas launched a brutal surprise attack on Israeli citizens, butchering almost 1,300 people according to the Israeli military. And during World War II, the Nazis murdered over six million defenseless Jews, according to the Holocaust Museum. But all that is, as much as all this is horrible, it pales in comparison to the ongoing slaughter of the unborn. Although Roe v. Wade was overturned, Abortion clinics continue to do abortions. According to Statistica.com, from 2008 to 2020, close to 9 million abortions were performed, and that's not counting abortions since then. The Hamas attacks drew outrage worldwide. The Holocaust prompted the Nuremberg trials. But for the defenseless babies in the womb, there is no outcry. There are no worldwide trials. However, your mission's dollars supports an organization whose weapons against this shameful travesty is prayer. I'm talking about Love Life Ministries, some of us here are participants. The short video I'm about to show you demonstrates that as students across the U.S. are commending and saying hurrah to Hamas for their murderous acts, these young people are standing in the gap of the unborn through prayer. If we can play that video.
So as you prepare your offering today, won't you consider giving to missions? Some of your missions dollars goes to Love Life, among other worthy missionaries throughout the world. If the ushers would come forth, and as you prepare your offerings, let me say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as the faithful throughout this auditorium hold their seeds in their hands, Father, seeds they are planting in your kingdom and into the missions field, Father, I ask for a blessing upon it. Let this money, Father, this seed grow and multiply, Father, abundantly throughout the world. And may the giver be blessed beyond measure, Father, as you have promised. But we give not seeking the gift, but looking for the giver. Bless those, Father, that, are, that can't give today for whatever reason. Bless them so that next week they can come into the, the house of God, pouring out, Father, what you have given unto them. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me turn my somber face into a happy face. As I bring announcements of what the, the Bethel congregation is doing. And uh, before I give you the announcements, I, I was looking through the uh, newsletter that the uh, county puts out. And, and uh, I found out that NC County is calling for its citizens to shine the green light from their porches. November 6th through the 12th, to let veterans know that they are seen, appreciated, and supported. So you have time to go out to Lowe's and get you a green bulb to put out on your porches and sign and be a part of Operation Green Light.
And for Bethel, on, as I say, just presented Love Life for you, on 11-11 at 9 a.m., Love Life has had, will have its 40th and final week of the year, the 40th week celebration in Raleigh. I was part of it last year. You would be amazed how many people came out. I mean, they blocked traffic for a while. So won't you plan to be out there and, and be a part of this to show your solidarity for the unborn and to encourage young mothers coming in there to stop. And they'll, they'll be taking a bus from here, uh, so you need to let Teresa know. And if anybody doesn't know who Teresa is, raise your hand, everybody knows Teresa, right here in the red sweater. Um, so let her know if you're planning to ride. On, um, also, on November the 26th, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, save the date, because we'll have our annual holiday potluck dinner at 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. So plan to be here. It's a time that we can just sit together, uh, and maybe uh, Pastor Farrell will be here. He'll be here for that, so uh, you'll get another chance to meet. Uh, and by the way, if you didn't hear, he got unanimously elected as our new pastor. Um, also, save the date um, on 12-1. I don't know why they call it the theft or the claw or ornament uh, exchange. It's at Linda's house. All I see is wonderful, gentle, peaceful ladies here. I don't know why they're saying that they get vicious. But anyway, go see for yourself. The bus leaves the church at 5.30 to Linda's house. Let's welcome our wonderful Pastor Larry as he comes to take the podium. Thanks, Brother Dan. Um, I, I want to just reiterate that, that announcement about Love Life. Uh, many of you have been a part of that. We've adopted that as a ministry now for a couple years. Um, Christy, I think there's a video behind me. That was last week's, I mean, last year's 40th celebration. The ministry is based off 40 weeks, which is typical weeks of pregnancy. And so every week in Raleigh, every Saturday in Raleigh, a group of Christians gather to pray at an abortion clinic there. And once a month, we gather in front of the Planned Parenthood here in Chapel Hill. Their goal is to get enough churches involved in Durham when they can have someone out there every week in Chapel Hill as well. <clears throat> For those of you who may not be familiar with it, what I want to tell you that it's not is a protest. We don't holler at people. We don't hold signs. We don't do things. And Dan said that we blocked the traffic last year. We did, but the Raleigh police blocked the traffic for us. We have the police there. We obey the laws there. And they know there's a lot of us there. But last year, I think there was 500 people there, and we, we orderly walked up, and we sang praises to our great God, and we prayed that, that, that the scourge of abortion would end in our nation. And, and last year and this year she will be back, the, the lady who used to be the executive director of the Planned Parenthood here in Chapel Hill, God called her out of that ministry. Now she speaks for life and she'll be speaking again this coming Saturday. So if you'd like to go, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Sign up, you can ride the bus. The bus will leave here at 8.15, so be here at 8 o'clock. Some have indicated they may want to drive 
once I get the address to where we'll be parking, I will get Teresa to send that out in an email. So pay attention to your emails if you'd like to go. We'd love for you to come and be a part of it. Thank you for all of you and for the entire church who's called and prayed for my wife, Tammy. She did have surgery on her shoulder last Tuesday. She had a slightly torn rotator cuff, slightly torn bicep, and some bone spurs. But the surgery went real well. The recovery's going well. So I think if you all remember Rebecca Pearson, she went through something very similar recently. She's in a sling. She's finally gotten used to that thing. Uh, the first night that we were there dealing with that, we both liked to lost our religion fighting that thing. And then had to, we, we were fighting that sling so much we broke a sweat. We had to both go and stand outside a minute and cool down. But I think we figured that out. So, but, uh, and she's probably watching, but I, on her behalf and our behalf, thank you all for, for the calls. Uh, and you know, last weekend, as Brother Dan said, our church unanimously affirmed Pastor Farrell Galloway and his wife Sharon. What a great weekend for us. I want to thank everyone again who had a part in that, from our pastoral search committee to everyone who worked so hard to make last weekend a success. And so, um, uh, and, and the spirit of unity that's in our church is strong. And I think that, that says a lot for us as a body of believers is how unified we are right now. And I think Bethel Christian Center is in a very good place, and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. Lastly, uh, these mums, you see how beautiful they are. There's some outside. There's some in the foyer. But if we leave them here, they're going to die. So if you want one, grab one after the service and, and take it home. This morning, we're going to continue the study of the book of James. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to James chapter 4. And we'll be working our way through verses 11 through 17. Verses 11 through 17. It reads like this. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him, it is sin. Lord, we thank you for your presence that's been here already, the anointing that's rested here. Lord, I pray that anointing continues with me. I pray you, God, prepare the hearers to hear your holy word and prepare me a broken vessel to deliver it. And that, Lord, that if there's one out there who hasn't surrendered themselves to you, God, that through your holy word, they would come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message this morning is Judging, Planning, and Sinning. Judging, Planning, and Sinning. And those are the topics that James covers in these scriptures. And I think if we look at our lives and we look at how we walk out our faith, we're all guilty, or we do all these things in some form or fashion at some point in our walk with the Lord. But dealing with this issue of judging, James continues the, the theme of asking questions of his hearers, of his readers. If you remember when he talked about wisdom, he asked the question, he said, who is wise among you? 
And he goes on to define the difference between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. And then later on in the idea of quarreling, he asks a question. He says, where are the wars coming from? Where, where are all the fussing and the fighting? And he leads into a challenge of where those things really come from. And he continues this theme of asking questions of his hearers. And in verses 11 through 12, he deals with this idea of judging people. But in verse 12, he asks a question about it. He says, there's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? There's two approaches to presenting God's Word that a teacher or a preacher will use, typically. There's topical, and there is book, chapter, and verse by verse. Topical, typically, is you study God's Word, the teacher or the preacher is reading God's Word, and a topic comes to mind. Something, the Lord puts something in their heart to preach on a topic. And each week, there's a different topic. And then there's this idea of working your way through a book. And going by chapter and verse by verse. And and there's no right or wrong to either one of those. Both of them have their benefits and maybe their their downfalls. And sometimes you'll switch between the two. But when I was asked, when pastor asked me to take over the church, I immediately had to make a quick decision on which one I was going to be. And knowing that I'm not that creative, quite frankly, I like the idea of working through a book together. Because it does a few things. One, it it gives me a challenge to challenge you to follow along with me, to tell you what book we're in. And you see now I'm finishing up chapter 4, so guess where we'll be next week? Chapter 5. It's really not that hard, and you get to read along with me. And I opened up this year with a series out of the book of Genesis titled In the Beginning, and we worked our way from Genesis 1 all the way through, I believe, chapter 38. And I hope you read along with me, and I'm not going to ask you if you've read along with me in the book of James. I hope you have, because you'll get so much more from it. And maybe as you've read it, God has spoken something to you, and then because God speaks it something to me, and you'll get so much more out of it. But the reality of it is, that if statistics are true, and I believe that they are, I, set, I checked Barna, who is a research group of Christian issues. I checked the Pew Research Center. They both said the same thing that approximately 30% of people who identify as Christians read God's Word. 30%. Can I say I was a little bit pleasantly surprised with that? Because I didn't think it would be that high. I figured it'd be high teens. Because we know that so many people have a Bible, but they don't read it. And unless you think I'm being critical or being condemning, I want to tell you my story about that. I had uh, started coming to Bethel. This is probably 25 years ago. God had been dealing with me. Larry, you've lived your life on your terms for a while, man. Now I'm calling you back to where you know you need to be. And we began to visit some churches. We had been part of the Assemblies of God for a long time. We were attending Evangel Assembly of God out off Lynn Road on the Durham side, or Raleigh side of Durham. And wonderful church, wonderful pastor, Pastor Ellis. But we had moved out to northern Orange County, and I wanted to be closer to a church. I knew if I'm going to be connected in, I need to live somewhat close to the church. And so we started visiting, and, you know, we visited a lot of churches. And we came to Bethel, and the moment I walked in here, I felt what I hear a lot of people feel. I felt the presence of the Lord. And that's really what I was looking for, mostly. I want to feel God's presence. I grew up feeling God's presence. When you felt God's presence, you want to feel God's presence. And so we, we stayed here, and, and, we, and I know now why. <laughs> I know now why. And, 
But they did a skit here at this church, and I'd been coming maybe a year or two, I don't know. And they did a skit here, and if I'm not mistaken, Dean, I believe you were in it. Because I remember it specifically. And the skit was about some non-Christians who were witnessing to, I'm sorry, some Christians who had gone to their neighbors who were not Christians to witness to them. And it was a humorous skit. It was meant to be funny. And the, the people who want Christians, they began to ask the Christians some basic questions about the Bible, some simple questions. I don't remember all of it. Just one I do remember is they asked this question. They said, well, what's the difference between an epistle and an apostle? I remember that. And the Christians couldn't answer it. There were some very simple questions, and they were, everybody was laughing. I was sitting about where Jim is sitting. I was laughing too, but inside the Holy Spirit was dealing with me and saying, Larry, that's you. You're laughing, but it's you. You don't know my word. You know about it. You know the stories of Adam and Eve and David and Goliath and Noah's Ark and that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's good. That's, that's why children's ministries are so important to give that foundation. So please don't misunderstand me, but there comes a time when we got to go deeper than that. And that's what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. He said, look, I wanted to give you meat, but you still own the milk. And we can't go deeper into the things of God and find out what He really wants for us until we're willing to dig into His Word. And He was convicting me. And so at that point, I left that service. I said, Lord, this changes today. I went to the family Christian bookstore. It was at Northgate. It's not there anymore. And I bought my first study Bible. It was called the Life Application Study Bible. And I began to devour that thing. I almost brought it to show it to you because it's all to pieces. Now, I think it's all to pieces because it won't bound that well. But I still used it a lot. I used it a lot. And I liked it because it told me who wrote the book and why they wrote it. It had commentary at the bottom. And I began to read God's Word and study God's Word. And it changed my life. And it will change your life. But in this culture that we live in today, that unfortunately even in the church and certainly outside the church, don't know God's Word, there is one, uh, well actually a handful of scriptures, but one in particular that they know well. And I imagine you've heard it, you've seen it in some context, you've seen it on your social media page, and they will typically say it like this, judge not lest you be judged. You heard that before? And they'll say it like that, lest you be judged. So I, I went to my Bible gateway and I put that scripture in. It's Matthew 7, 1, by the way. They know the, they know the saying, they, don't know, they can't give you the book, they can't give you the chapter and the verse, half the time, if you probably say, who said that? They probably couldn't even tell you that. But they know that scripture, and they'll say, lest. And so I went, and I looked at every Bible translation. I don't even know where they got that. It's, that lest is not even in the, in the King James Version. But that's how they like to say that, lest you be judged. However, as with many, many scriptures, it's taken out of context. It's taken out of context, and most of the time it's used to justify a sinful lifestyle. So do the words of, of Jesus and Matthew and here in James, do they prohibit any type of judgment of others or of things? No, it does not. No, it does not. As with anything else in the Bible, church, you can't build a doctrine and a lifestyle off of one verse. You had to take the whole counsel of God. You got to go see what other things say about this. And so if we can judge, then how do we judge? 
Well, Jesus himself answered that for us. The very one who said, judge not, that you be not judged in Matthew 7 and 1, he also said this in John 7 and 24. Now, I need to set the context for this. And the scripture's up there. The, he had been teaching. And the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who knew the law in his day, the self-righteous, some thought Jesus was a madman, some thought he was a good man. They didn't care much for him. And they had come to him and they had accused him of breaking the law because he'd healed a man on the Sabbath. And so they're having this debate. He said, and Jesus is basically saying, well, wait a minute, you can circumcise on the Sabbath. You can do that on the Sabbath, but I can't heal a man on the Sabbath. And they're having this discussion. And as Jesus goes into this discussion, he says something interesting. In John 7, 16, before he says what he says in 7, 24, he says this. My doctrine is not mine, but it's his who sent me. But it's his who sent me. What Jesus was saying is, listen, what the judgment that I'm using, what I'm using to make decisions is doctrine. I've gotten it straight from the Father. I've gotten it straight from God himself. And that's what I'm using to judge. And we have that doctrine today. The word doctrine means is a belief, it's a, it's, it's belief or set of beliefs that's taught in the church. Where do our, our beliefs in this church or the set of beliefs or our tenets of faith, where do they come from? They come from God Himself, just like Jesus got them from God Himself. But we get it through His Holy Word that He revealed to us through men. So the judgment that we use when we're judging things and we're looking at things is from God Himself through His Holy Word. And that's what Jesus was saying there when he said in John 7 and 24, do not judge according to appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. So how do we judge with righteous judgment? One translation says judge correctly. How do we do that? How do we do that? First, we judge correctly when it's done with grace out of concern for a person's soul. That's when it's done correctly. I like the way uh, Jack Hayford says this. He says, Jesus does not forbid criticism, opinions, or the condemnation of wrongdoing. What he forbids is the spirit of fault-finding that overlooks one's own shortcomings while assuming the role of supreme judge in regard of the sins of others. Have you ever been the victim of someone who has a spirit of fault-finding? Have you ever been a victim of someone who's a spirit of criticism? That's what Jesus is condemning, is this idea of approaching someone. But when we approach someone to talk with them, this goes along with a couple weeks ago, I talked about this idea of rebuke. We don't like to hear that word too much, but the Bible tells us about rebuking a brother or a sister, but rebuking for the same reasons. It's done out of concern for their soul. Jesus would go on to say in Matthew 7 and 2, the very next verse after he says, judge not, that you be not judged, he would say, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. The word that came to my mind when I read it is mercy. We're to approach people who are in, a, in something's going on in their life from a sense of mercy and concern for them. That is the exact same thing James reiterates again in the next chapter, in chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, where he says this. James says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way 
will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's why we judge. Not to come in with a critical spirit, not to tear someone down, but to go to them and say, let me talk to you for a moment. I'm, I'm concerned about your soul. I'm concerned about your destiny. And I want to talk to you about that. And the concern is to turn them from error. Not with a critical spirit. So we judge correctly when it's done out of concern for the person. So we judge correctly when it's not done in hypocrisy. When it's not done in hypocrisy. Jesus would go on to say in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, he would say this, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What's he saying? Is he saying that we have to be perfectly righteous people to go and in a, in a, and in a spirit of, of turning someone for air, that we have to live our perfect lives? Absolutely not. But it's that spirit of fault-finding over criticism that we go to someone. That's what Jesus is condemning. And I'll speak a word to the fathers for just a minute, to the men just a minute. And I actually found this, I found this to be true in a couple situations I'm aware of. And I also found it, I stumbled over a short study about this. People have a tendency, which would include fathers, to be hypercritical of someone or our children in areas that we don't have a handle on ourselves. And what we're, if we're not careful, what happens is, I can't control this in my life, but I'm sure going to control it in yours. And if you get into that spirit, you will provoke a child to wrath just like that. And the Bible says don't provoke our children to wrath. And you'll provoke people to wrath. And many times that's the case. If someone's coming, you see someone always pounding on something, pounding on something, pounding on an issue. It always makes me pause and say, wonder what they're struggling with. wonder what they're dealing with. Because we all at times have things that we deal with. But it's not to be done in hypocrisy. I think the best example of that is the woman caught in the act of adultery. Which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because Jesus said, I came to show you the Father. He came to show us the heart of God. And so when we see how He treated people, we understand the heart of God. We understand the attributes of God. And this woman, the Bible says, was caught in the very act of adultery. Now how that happened, I'm not sure. Unless they heard it, they got, they got the town gossip that it was going on, and they went and kicked the door in. The act is happening, and these wild-eyed, self-righteous men are standing there with the stones in their hand. And all she can do is jump up and run for her very life. They didn't deal with the man, and that's a whole other issue, but she's running for her very life, and she's probably running and running to a point of exhaustion, and she drops, but she drops at the feet of Jesus. And I can see him stepping between her and them. And the Mosaic law, and he was a Jewish rabbi, said she should be stoned. But he was bringing in a new age of what? Grace. Grace. Thank God for his grace. Because we're all lawbreakers. And he steps between her and him. And the Bible says he kneels down and he begins to write something in the sand. It doesn't tell us what he wrote. I'd love to know what he wrote, wouldn't you? But there's a part of me that wonders, did he start writing all the things that they had been involved in? 
Did he write that some of those men there holding the stones ready to condemn her, how they were guilty of the same thing? And they're reading that thinking, oh boy, I don't want this out. Thinking nobody knows, but God himself knows. And then he looks up at him and he says, let you who was out sin throw the first stone. And you know what they did? They dropped their rocks. And if I come or somebody comes or a trusted brother and sister comes to you, we're not coming with a rock. We're not coming with a stone. We're coming with a heart of love and compassion for you. And Jesus had a heart and a compassion for that lady. And he said, look, he said, lady, where, man, where's your, where are your accusers? And they were all gone. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. See, they were ready to convict her, kill her from a spirit of hypocrisy. Because Jesus himself would go on to say about them that they didn't keep the law. They didn't, they didn't do the things. They, they, they put unbearable rules on people they won't keep in themselves. They were judging her out of a spirit of hypocrisy. So we judge correctly when we judge out of concern for someone's soul when it's not done in hypocrisy. And then we judge correctly when the goal also is the concern for the holiness and the witness of the church. Folks, we have to maintain integrity and a witness in the church if we're ever going to have an impact on the world. We're real quick to jump out on things sometimes, whether it's, whether it's same-sex relationships, whether it's even abortion and other things, and then we look into our own house sometimes, and our marriages are a mess. And we have greed sometimes, we have hatred sometimes, we have prejudice sometimes, and we have to deal with those things if we're ever going to be a witness to the church, I mean to the world. We have to keep the church as a solid witness. That's what Peter was saying when he, turned, when he wrote 1 Peter 4, 17. He said, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And so when judgment begins with us, and Jesus talked about how we're supposed to approach a, a sinning brother, go privately and then take two or three and then take it to the church. And Paul dealt with church discipline a lot. Once again, it's not because people are angry with you or upset with you. It's because we love you. And I know what would happen to me right now if all of a sudden I decided I wanted to have a relationship with another woman outside of marriage. First of all, I'd have to run from Tammy. She's a pretty good shot. <laughs> Number one. Number two, as soon as that drifted out into the church, I'd probably, they'd, probably, they'd probably call a quick board meeting. Or somebody would come to me and say, we've heard something, we need to discuss something. Rightfully so. And that's the way it's to be done, church. It's supposed to be done in love. It's supposed to be done privately at first. But in the Christian circles sometimes, we're pretty good at kicking our wounded. I think we like to say, uh-huh, I got them. Mm-hmm, yeah. And we start to circle like sharks. And it should not be so. I don't know how many of you follow what's going on in Christian circles, but right now there's a man that's, his name is Mike Bickle. He's the head of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, well known in popular Christian circles. And some sexual allegations have come out against him. And they haven't proven them to be true yet. This is just broke, and they're starting to convene a, an investigative body to look into it. At least two of the victims have said it didn't happen, but they're starting to look into this. But already the vultures are coming out and starting to tear him down and tear him down and just shouldn't happen 
There's restoration. There's a way to do things, and, and viciousness is not it. And I remember, I don't know how you remember Ravi Zacharias. He was a great apologist. I love his slogan. His slogan was, making the believers think and the thinkers believe. And he was well known. He spoke at Billy Graham's funeral. And he passed away. And the moment within a few weeks of passing away, it was found out he had been involved in sexual misconduct for years. And I'm like, wow, how did that happen? And his family that now ran his ministry convened a, a, a third-party uh, investigative body to investigate it and found out every bit of it was true. And they had to go into these victims and try to make restitution to them and apologize to them. But those types of things, church, that the church body, the church at large, and church, we have to deal with, we have to protect the holiness and the witness of the church. So we judge correctly when it's done out of concern for person's soul, when it's not done in hypocrisy, and it's done with the goal of maintaining the holiness and the witness of the church. Judging. Now what about planning? I'm a planner. I plan things. I, I don't like to run by the seat of my pants. I'm one of these people. I'm, I'm overstructured. I get it. I think it's good at times. And sometimes it's not good. But I'm a little overstructured. I like to know what the plan is. As a matter of fact, I had some friends several years ago. We were visiting with them. And as soon as we walked in, we'd been there about an hour. And I looked at my watch and I said, well, baby, you about, you about ready to go? And they busted out laughing. I said, what are y'all laughing at? They said, we, stayed, we said when you got here, you'd be here about 45 minutes or an hour, and you'd look at your watch and say, you about ready to go? That's me. I plan. You know, I'm going to spend an hour here, and I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to do that. And planning is okay, and, and, and James deals with that in verses 13 through 16. But what James is dealing with is us planning our lives, doing our things, our everyday things, our careers, our school choices, our relationship choices. We're living our lives but we're not including God in any of those things. In essence, we're saying, Lord, I'll, I'll call on you in the big things. If I lose my job, I'll call on you. If I get sick, I'll call on you. If I had a huge decision to make, I'll call on you. But when it comes to those everyday things, I'm going to do this my way. I'll do it my way. And James is saying that's pride. That we're to, we're to include God in all the things of our lives, not just the big things. The story is told of the old man who asked a young high school senior about his plans. And the young man said, I'm going to college. And the older man said, then what? He said, well, I'm going to get a job and start my career. Then what? I'm going to get married and start a family. Then what? I'm going to raise my kids and I'm going to build a life. Then what? And at this time, the young man's getting kind of exasperated. He's like, well, good grief. I'm going to retire and hopefully have some grandkids and enjoy my retirement years. Then what? And finally, the young man says, well, I guess I'll die. Then what? <laughs> and see, I don't think we think too much about God sometime until that last then what. And we're not guaranteed any of those stages of life. And it wasn't lost on me now when I read that, which then what I was at. I'm at the grandkids and retire and grandkids and enjoy my retirement age. So I'm asking myself, then what? But I'm going to tell you, I can answer that question with confidence. I can tell you what my then what is. 
When I shut my eyes on this side of earth, I'm going to open my eyes on the other side in glory. And I, my, my, then my faith is no longer going to be my sight. It's going to be my sight. It's not going to be my faith anymore. It's going to be my sight. And I'm going to look face to face into the one who saved me. That's my then what? And I'm going to walk down streets of gold and I'm going to see a mansion and I'm going to see all the saints of old. Why, am I, why can I be confident in that? I'm very confident. Because I've been a good person? No. Because I've done good things? No. Because I went to a Savior who wants to save me, surrendered my life to Him, repented of my sin and said, Lord, my life is Yours. I'm surrendered to Your Lordship. Lord, start to clean me up. And He has. And it's been a step and it's been a journey and there's been some ups and downs. But He's been faithful and He's never left me. He's always been with me. Even when I was separated from Him for a little while, He was always pulling at me. God is faithful, even sometimes when you're not and I'm not. And so my then what is that? And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want to know what your then what is. Do you know when your then what is called, where are you going to spend eternity? Because there's only two choices. We spend eternity in a place where the Bible says that eye has not seen nor ear heard what it's going to be like, or it's in a place separated from Him forever where Jesus said there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's the choices. That's the choices. And we don't know at what stage of this it'll be our then what. And we move. James said this life is a vapor. And as I said, I read this and I thought, man, it was yesterday that I was in high school. It was yesterday that I was in college. It was yesterday that I was starting a career. It was yesterday that I was getting married. And it's gone. And some of you who are here older, you, you, you can relate to that. It is certainly a vapor. Pastor Farrell last week spoke a powerful message to us on faith. And he started out with, with everyday faith. He said the faith that we exercise most of the time is everyday faith faith. And then there's miraculous faith, and there's supernatural faith, and I thank God for that, but the faith that you're going to deal with most of the time is when you get up every day and acknowledge who God is. When you make decisions every day in your business and your family and how you're going to live your life, every day acknowledging Him. That's where the faith is built. James' brother Jude said, build yourself up in the most holy of faith. Your faith is built every day, doing the right thing, knowing God's Word, facing the challenges and the trials of life day in, day out, day in, day out, and that faith is built then. Because you find Him faithful. You find Him faithful in that. But too many times people don't experience the everyday faith. They don't acknowledge Him in their business decisions. They don't acknowledge Him in where they're going to go to school. They don't acknowledge Him in their relationship decisions. They don't acknowledge Him on how they're going to spend their money. I told you that when I started this book on James that it's often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's so practical. It's so practical in how we can live our lives and how we should live our lives today. And when I thought about what James was saying here, the first scripture that came to my mind was Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Because I think basically James is restating that in a more common way, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. 
But what does it say? It says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Don't wait till the crisis of life hits to acknowledge God. Acknowledge Him every day. Acknowledge Him in everything. That's what James is saying. And when you do that, let me tell you, I want God directing my paths. I want to know that He is directing my steps. And it says right here, and then it goes on to say in, in Proverbs 16 and 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. It's okay to make your plans. But if you've acknowledged Him, you're seeking Him, you said, Lord, my life is in your hands, you can be confident you, as you go out and make your plans and you're doing it within the confines of this Scripture, He is directing your steps. You may not know it, but He is. And Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I told you, I, I came to Bethel Christian Center 25 years ago. If you'd have said to me, when I walked through the door, and you said, you're going to be pastor here one day, I'd have run out that door and said, you have lost your mind. That is not going to happen. That's impossible. There's no way. I'm not equipped for that. <clears throat> I don't have the background for that. Are you crazy? But see, God sees 25, 30, 50, 40 years ahead. He sees what you can't see. And I want God directing my steps. And He knew when I walked in 25 years ago that in 2023, the found, uh, Pastor Don who'd been here for 54 years, health would fail, and he'd need someone in a, in a, in a, in a stage of life who could step in and do it. And that, that was me. He directs my steps. And sometimes you don't know, you're not going to know He's directing your steps while He's doing it. What will happen is as you walk with Him, and there's going to be times it's going to be hard. There's going to be times you're going to say, God, what are you doing? Because I sure don't understand it. But He's directing your steps. And you may look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years back and say, Lord, I see now what you were doing. I couldn't see it then. I wish I could because it would have made it a whole lot easier. But He's directing my steps. Really what we're talking about, church, and this is a question a lot of people have, is the will of God. Everybody, everybody wants to know, what's the will of God for my life? And it's really not that hard. For the most part, the will of God for your life is written down right here. And if you read and study this, many times you'll see how you should manage your family, the relationships you would think about, things like that. It's all in here. Everything you need for life and godliness is right here. And this is His will. Go read it and find out. So the way we discover the will of God's lives is first is in His Word. But then it's also in His Spirit. When we come to the Lord and we're saved, we surrender ourselves to Him, His Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. And it's the Holy Spirit that's guiding and directing your steps when you can't see it. Now, he's probably not... He's, God's never spoken to me audibly. There's been so many times I wished He would. But He hadn't. But there's been times His Spirit has just... It's just pulling at me about something. And that's His Spirit guiding you. Talk to someone who's called to be a, a preacher, to pastor a church full time. Think about that. Okay, I want to go up there. I'm going to prepare every Sunday. I'm going to lead a people. And that's going to be wonderful. But there's going to be some of the times that there's going to be some people that I poured my life into and they're going to cut me down. You ever talk to a missionary? They go off into lands. We, we live here in, comfortable, in America, everything. I have all the comforts of America. They go into these places. There's no comfort. But they, they're not fulfilled doing anything else. The Spirit is pulling at them. And the Spirit will pull at you. 
The first thing the Spirit will pull at you is if God is here and He's pulling at your soul, you've never surrendered to Him, it's going to pull at you. You'll decide if you submit to it or not. The Spirit pulls at us. But I, sometimes I wish He would. He's probably not going to say, marry this person, don't marry this person. I, I can tell you, He's not going to say, go to this college. I, I can tell you for sure one thing He's not going to say. He's not going to say, go to Carolina. He's not going to say, go to Duke, that's for sure. Now, He might say, go state. I'm not sure. But He's probably not going to tell you that. But you look at the different decisions that you're making in your life. And you study God's Word and you pray and you seek His face and sometimes you'll feel the gentle tug. You might be deciding to go to a... Well, here's a college I could go to, but the Lord is really leading me to this Bible college over here because I feel like He wants me to be a preacher or a missionary. You know what the right thing to do is. It's just will you do it? The will of God. One scripture I have sunk my teeth into uh, this year and I, I, I plan on keeping my teeth into it for a while because it's helped me. And this idea about the Spirit is 2 Peter 1, 21. And it, this is concerning, this is Peter talking concerning the writing of the Scriptures. And he said this, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And I've told you before, this book, when James was writing this letter, God wasn't whispering in his ear what to write. He wasn't taking his hand and moving it around. I think James just sat down to write a letter. But the Holy Spirit was superintending the whole thing. And if you're his son or his daughter today, and you're moving about your life, making decisions, acknowledging him, making plans, know this, his Holy Spirit is superintending the whole thing. And that should give you comfort. It gives me comfort. Because there's times when I sat down to study to prepare on a Sunday, I'm not feeling very spiritual. I'm not. I'm like, Lord, I feel like I'm doing all this within my own power. And, you know, I just don't feel like you're speaking to me. But then I remember, he doesn't have to. I belong to him. I, I'm in his will right now where he has me. I know that. So I know I have to stop and pause for a minute and say, Lord, you're carrying me along. You're carrying me along. And maybe you're here today and life's tough. Maybe, maybe there's some things you don't understand. He ain't left you. He's carrying you along. He's carrying you along. I'm closing with this. <clears throat> I'm going to ask Matt and the team to come on up. James says that when you don't acknowledge God in your life, he finishes with this verse. He says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, I've always seen that as one of those catch-all verses where someone who has decided that they will be your Holy Spirit uh, is going to come and tell you that there's something you should or shouldn't be doing, particularly should be doing, and since you're not doing it, it's sin. This is one of those verses that you rely on the Holy Spirit for, to guide you in how He's speaking to you and what He wants you to do or not do. And we sense the leading of the Holy Spirit sometimes and we resist that. James says that's, that's sin to us. But even when we're disobedient, even in the small areas of our life, it's sin. I found this, it says, obedience is the origin of spiritual knowledge. You want spiritual knowledge? You want God to direct you? Be obedient to Him. Be obedient to His Word. Be obedient to His leading. Also, when I opened this series, 
I challenged you to read a book. I, I tried to find it today, and I could not find it, and it about frustrated me to no end when I can't find my books. But it's called A Letter to the American Church. I don't know how many of you have heard of it and seen it. But, it, but it's a challenge written by a man named Arimataxis to the American church, and he compares it to the, the church of Germany during the Holocaust. And, how the, and, and so church, there's things that we know we're supposed to do. The church should speak for life. The church should speak for righteousness. And when we don't, when we run and hide, we run from those things. I don't think we're doing what God has com commanded the church to do. And it's interesting, people will say history will repeat itself. And sometimes I wonder with what I see playing out before me in Israel, and even here in America, that book was written to, for us to make a stand on things like some of this crazy sexual stuff targeted our children and life and other things, that we should speak for these, against these things. But I'm beginning to wonder, are we going to have to speak again to stand up for the nation of Israel? Because what I see swirling to me is concerning. I saw just on a college campus this year, a young, young Jewish boy was walking, and, and say, a bunch of protesters surrounded him and wouldn't let him leave. And they're ripping down. That there's just a spirit of hatred and anti-Semitism that I've never seen before in our nation. And I'm wondering, will the church speak? Will we speak? I found this image. The, 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 the main, the, the person who led that charge and challenged the American church to speak in Nazi Germany was a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And this is what he, he said. Christy, do you have that? It's the image of, of, about speaking, not speaking, being evil. If you don't have it, that's fine. I, I, I've got it here. I can just read it. But it's a picture, and it says, it's a picture of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says this, Silence in the face of evil itself is evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to, not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And that's true. So I want to close. How do we act? How, how do we stand up? First prayer. First prayer. We have to pray. Pray for the nation of Israel. Pray against the violence that's happening. Pray for our brothers and sisters who are Palestinian. When, when Tammy and I visited Israel, when we went to Bethlehem, that's a Palestinian area. Our, our Israeli guide handed, handed off the reign to a Palestinian guide. She was Christian. She's a believer. She's a follower of Christ. But pray. And then support people. Support causes with your finances. That's a way you can get involved. And the next is action. Action. Be willing to go somewhere and, and pray publicly. Be willing to speak into a situation. It's hard. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy. It's not going to be. I hate politics, by the way. But when I saw some of the things that was happening before I left, I saw people who see the world completely different than me being bold to speak for what they think is right. And I was like, man, maybe I need, I need to be a little bolder. And I know the, the, the fear is that the moment it's 
labeled political, the church will shrink back and say, well, I don't want to be political. I don't either. But I want to be biblical. And I want to stand for what's right. And I want to do it with the right spirit. And I see sometimes things are not the right spirit. The wrong spirit. But as we see things unfolding before us, and as we see a spirit of anti-Semitism as I've never seen before, let's don't let history repeat itself. Because when we know to do what's right, when we know to stand for what's right, and we choose to shrink back, Scripture says now is not the time to shrink back. When we, when we choose just to shrink back, it'll work itself out. Well, it didn't work itself out in Nazi Germany. It probably won't work itself out here. We call on our great God. We stand for what we believe and pray that God will move. Support people who are working behind the scenes and maybe get involved ourselves. All that's up to you and that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Judging, planning, and sinning. I'm going to ask everyone to stand if you will. ask you to bow your head. I want to ask you an honest, and I want you to be honest with yourself. What, what happens in your then what? When your then what comes, your last then what, you die, then what? Where do you spend eternity? And if you don't know that you know, the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. There's a friend I went to high school with. He and I were team captains on the, for, on the wrestling team my senior year. Didn't really know him that well. Fortunately, Angie told me he'd been in the hospital. I had a chance to go up and see him, give him a Bible, have a real conversation with him about his faith. Ask him what I'm asking you, quite frankly. If you, something happens and you, you're called out of this earth, where are you going to spend eternity? I don't get people to answer that for me because I think people are going to tell you what you want to hear, quite frankly. I think they're going to say, oh, I'm going to heaven. But I just asked them to contemplate it. And because of your generosity, I was able to give him a Bible. And I had a good conversation with him. Well, two or three days ago, he died in sleep. And so that conversation is more meaningful to them than it's ever been. Because they don't know. And I don't know what decisions he made. That's between him and God. But I want to ask you the same question. What about your then what? So as the, as the team plays here for just a moment, I'm just going to linger for just a second. If you need to make some things right with God, the altar is open as they play.
us this morning, what we like to do is close our service, just gathering close to the altar in, a, in another short time of worship. If, you're, if you need to go, you're free to go, uh, you're, but you're welcome to join us. Uh, we believe in the prayer of agreement, and we like to pray over the needs of our people. So I'm going to ask everyone, if you will, if you would like to gather up to the altar now, and we'll have a, we'll have a time of prayer for the needs of our people.